You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I am Jesper, and this is episode 79 of the Am Writing Fantasy podcast. And as you can hear, Autumn is taking a break today. And instead, I'm joined by Christina Stanley, who is the CEO of Fictionary. And Fictionary is a platform run by Christina and her husband. Christina is a best-selling author and a fiction editor. And we are going to talk about editing today. So welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy podcast, Christina. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I actually uh, did a uh, check on the uh, Fictionary website earlier today, Christina, and uh, I saw you actually had a, quite a nice description of how and why Fictionary started. And I was thinking that that might be a good place to start if you could retell a bit of that story so our listeners as well get to know you a little better here. Sure, I'd love to. I mean, who doesn't like talking about their story? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so um, Fictionary came to be from my writing career, and I started that in around 2009, and I started writing the Stone Mountain series. And I started writing that because I just left living in a ski resort, and I missed it, and I wanted to write about it. And what I found after I had three novels in this series written, I was having trouble editing it and keeping track of everything. And I had this massive, massive spreadsheet organized. And my husband actually walked by and looked at my computer and said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I, I'm, I'm writing. He's like, in Excel? And I said, well, okay, I'm actually editing and I, I need to keep track and this is how I do it. And he said, oh, there's got to be a better way. I'll find you something. And so he went on the search, of course, for a product that would help me. And there just wasn't anything that focused on story editing. Um, you know, there's lots for copy editing and proofreading, but really nothing on the structure of a story. And the two of us decided together that we would uh, build a product. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of it. You know, it was just sort of a idea of, well, let's make an app and see what happens. Mm. So is it more like an, an app that keeps track of everything or, or how does it work? So it's how it works. So we, we like to focus on people who have a draft written. Um, you can write from scratch in Fictionary, but our, that's not really our thing. Our thing is if you have a draft written, you import it into Fictionary and Fictionary scans it. And when it's scanning it, it draws the story arc and it compares it to a commercially successful book of around the same length and gives the writer right away a look at, you know, where their key plot points are for exciting incident, et cetera. And are they in the right place? It does right. word count per scene um, and shows you in a visual way. So here's your word count per scene. And so you can see what your pacing is doing. And do you have any outliers that are just too long or too short or something? And It pulls out using natural language processing, it pulls out all of the character names and links them to scenes and then shows a, a writer, you know, how many characters are in each scene and when they come in, um, who's got the point of view and how many point of view characters there are and stuff. And so it's a very visual way for a writer to look at their story and then 
because it's all broken out and organized into scenes and chapters, we push scene by scene editing and we have 38 story elements there that help the writer know what to look at when they're evaluating their own story. Yeah, that that's very interesting, actually. I don't, as you said in the beginning, I, don't, I can't think of any other product like exactly like that. I mean, I know of other products where you can use it to sort of structure, well, characters, you, you can connect them together visually as well. And you can, well, the whole world building part that comes with fantasy, for example, you can connect all the places together and in a visual fashion. I know tools like that, but mm-hmm. not really tools where I think I can think of that, where you can upload your draft like that. Yeah. And it, I mean, part of historically this happened because I have a um, degree in computer mathematics and my husband has a degree in computer science. And so even though I'm a writer, I have a very techie background. And so I was naturally drawn to this side of it and to figure out how this would all work and how would you draw a story arc and and, and make these things happen. So it really, really entertained both sides of my brain to, to work on this and build it. Mm. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Okay, well, that's actually pretty cool. Um, and maybe we can, uh, at the end of the episode, we we can just uh, make sure we give people a link so they can go and check that out. Sure. Is there any like, um, uh, is there any like trial versions or stuff like that or demo versions people can use? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a two week free trial. So you just pop in your manuscript and you have a look around. We have online chat so people can ask us questions on how to use it. And when people sign up, to the free trial, they also get um, a 14 lesson online course that goes with it that teaches all of the story elements and why they're important and how to use them and what it means to you as a writer. And so there's a whole educational piece that goes with it um, to help people as they work through Fictionary. And our kind of dream is that once you go through it once, then the next time you write a novel, it's much easier because you have all of this in your head and you know mm. how to start a scene, end a scene, all of these things that, especially newer writers, you have to learn how to do. Yeah, the whole structure of a novel. I mean, there is formulaic, a formulaic approach to structuring a novel uh, and while we as authors needs to understand how that formula works and how to put all those different milestones at the right places in a novel, you know, the, the reader don't really understand those, but they intuitively know. So if it's off, they will intuitively mm-hmm. sort of feel like there's something wrong with the structure of the story, but they won't be able to pinpoint what it is. But uh, yeah, and that's we a, as reader, authors really need to understand that. It's a super important point because what we're trying to do with fictionaries make the author aware of it. And so if you do decide to break the rules, know why you're doing it. And then you're making an educated decision on, well, that doesn't work for my story and I have a reason for it. And that's great. As opposed to just getting it wrong. And then you don't know why your story's not working. Mm, yeah, indeed. Okay, that that's very good. But I also know, um, based on the whole thing you have developed here, Christina, that you really like editing. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. It's kind of funny that I I had no idea when I started writing that really my true passion is editing. Um, I love working with writers. We developed a, an editor product to go along with our writing product just for editors to do structural edits in it with the dream that we can make editors, really strong editors. And so I edit maybe one one novel a month just to keep 
my skill set up, but it's not it's not my main focus. We're really focused now on pushing fictionary editor version out to editors, um, which we call Story Coach, and it's it's really meant to help an editor do a comprehensive story edit without being biased. So it makes it really objective and they have to cover everything and it ends up being a really good edit for the writer. Mm, yeah. So it sounds like you've actually come quite a long way from when you were first sitting with that Excel sheet and mm -hmm. uh, this is how I'm editing to now where, where you both built this uh, app here, but also teaching other edit or other people how mm -hmm. to edit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we've got... Um, we have a fictionary certified story coach editing program that we bring editors through to teach them how to do a proper structural edit and then certify them so that when a writer hires an editor, they know what they're getting and they know that person really understands story versus hiring an editor that maybe thinks they do or has certain biases of how they edit. And, and we're trying to push editors to get a little bit away from that. Yeah. But you see, this is exactly why I wanted you to come on the podcast today, because you have the excellent, an excellent approach here and a very strong background in educating us here on the podcast a bit about how do we go about editing and especially also when authors are self-editing their, mm -hmm. their work, you know, um, and maybe a good place to start would be just so when you start editing a new manuscript, what is the first thing you do? Do do you just start from page one and then you start editing or, or do you read through it in a high level pass first or what do you do? Yeah, so we like to first think for, for newer authors, I mean, authors who are more experienced, they're a little bit farther along, but for newer author, the most important thing is to understand what a scene is and look through their manuscript and make sure that they have their scene structure done right first. And so what I encourage writers to do, if they're already broken out into scenes and chapters, that's great. Then I'll, I'll tell I'll tell you a bit um, where you would start at that point. But there are many newer writer writers who have written their novel and it's not properly structured into stories and or into scenes. And so what I recommend is first going through and looking for logical places to start scenes without thinking about word count That can come mm. later, but just to look through and go, okay, so the point of view has changed or the point of view character has changed. That's a good place to start a new scene or the location has changed or the timing has changed. These are three key areas where a writer can go through and, and read their manuscript, not don't focus on words and copy editing or anything like that. Just go through and look for the points where you would break out a scene. And once you've done that, it's amazing how you can see the structure of your story just by having it broken into scenes. And it's a big eye opener when you do that for the first time. It's really kind of fun. And you can see how many scenes you have. And once you've done that, then you can start looking at all of the other things you need to do for a story edit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think sometimes it, it can be confusing in, in the, for a new author when, when you start doing the editing because there is a, there's a tendency to, well, okay, I, I start on page one and then I will start looking at commas or spelling errors or making the sentences sound uh, a bit better. Right. But I think there's a very good point in looking at the overall structure first and e even if you don't have something like fictionary to help you then at least educate yourself by 
you know, reading maybe nonfiction books about how to plot a novel and understand mm-hmm. the structure of it. Um, and then yeah. start there to see where you're off. And it's it's super important not to waste time on um, making a sentence beautiful. I mean, some people do it naturally. Some people really struggle and you have to spend a lot of time and not to spend time on the commas and typos and all of those things until you have a story, because what's going to happen once you've broken out everything into scenes, you're going to realize that, okay, you have a lot of revisions to do. And if you spend hours making everything perfect at the sentence level, but your story's off, you have to rewrite it anyway. And then you have to copy it all over again. And I certainly don't recommend paying for a copy edit or proofreading until you've done your own story edit, that you will have to do it again. And it's kind of a waste of money if you do it too early. Yeah. So so what's your view on these revision passes? You know, uh, how many should, is, is there any recommendation you would give to say, okay, you, you do one pass in the high level story elements, you know, and mm-hmm. one pass in looking at the copy edit and then you do a third pass proofreading and then you hand it off to a copy editor or something. But, or do you, do you have like a, a work me- methodology that you follow with regards yeah. to that? Yeah. So again, it depends on the level of the, where the author is in their career and how many books they've written, because the more books you write, obviously the the easier it becomes and you know how to structure. And so you can start in different places. But the basic thing is once, once everything is broken out into scenes, then I like to recommend that the author now goes through and names each scene in three words or less. And the reason I say this is if you can't name a scene, you don't know what it's about. So you should be able to name name every scene in your story. And by doing that, it tells you, does it have a place in this story? So does it have a purpose in my story? And everybody gets carried away writing and you write this fantastic scene and you love it, but it has nothing to do with your story. It's just a great scene about the character, right? You think, oh, okay. So if you can't define the name and the purpose of that scene, then perhaps it shouldn't be in the story. And so it's a good place to start looking at high level. Do you, as an author, understand why you put every scene in your story? Yeah, fully agree with that, for sure. <laughs> so that's But, it's a big yeah. step. I mean, it takes time, right? You have to really think yes. hard when you're doing it. Yes, indeed. Uh, but is there like something that you would say, so you have edited tons of manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is is there something that you would say, Maybe we could put them into different buckets here. So sort of saying bucket one being the fletching writer who's just starting out and maybe mm-hmm. another bucket with the more experienced writer. But is there some common issues that you see that is very in both buckets? Because I I, mm-hmm. I think that they will be different. But is there like common issues that you see popping up over and over again from, from the stuff that you edit? Yeah, so the big, the big things that show up... The thing I see most often is people don't know when to start and end a scene. So even if their story is broken into scenes, they're starting a scene at the wrong place or ending it at the wrong place. And what what I mean by that is if if when you think about as a reader, when you're reading a book and you're kind of getting tired and you want to you're you kind of peek at the next scene to see if you want to keep reading, you're going to read three or four sentences, and if it captures you right away, okay. I'm going to keep reading. I'll get one more scene in. I'll feel all accomplished. It's great, right? If you look at it and think, eh, kind of boring, 
you put the book down and you might not pick it back up or when you pick it back up, you're, you're a little bit out of the flow. So having an entry hook, you know, there's a lot of stuff written about the first, first sentence of your novel has to be the best and your opening hook of your novel has to be the best. But I believe the opening hook of your every scene has to be strong because every time you start a new scene there's a chance for the reader to put that book down. They finish a scene and if they're not, engaged in the next scene. And so I often look right away to see how is the author doing their entry hooks. And then at the end of the scene, I want to see how are they leaving the scene and do they leave it at the right point? And often you can just cut off the last two paragraphs and there's the right point to leave it. So you leave it with an unanswered question or someone just spilled a big secret that they shouldn't have or a cliffhanger. Um, You know, there's, you know, a really intriguing piece of dialogue or a revelation or part of a revelation or something like that. So that the end of the scene, the reader is feeling, okay, I just, I have to keep reading. And you'll notice really good books all have a great entry and exit hook for every single scene. Um, And it's hard to do because you try and fill in with description and and have a lot of ambiance around it. And if your skill set isn't quite there yet on how to make that suspenseful, it's tricky to do it. Yeah, Autumn and I, we we plot our novels in quite a lot of detail, but that's also, of course, because we are co-writing, so we need to know where things are going. So we have quite a lot of details, but I would say, especially with what you just mentioned here, the beginnings of each chapter and also the end of each chapter, we spent quite a lot of time in the plotting phase detailing out how is this going to start and how is it going to end. And we, we try to be a bit creative as well so that every chapter doesn't end the same way, you know. Perfect. It shouldn't be that every time a chapter ends, the monster appears or whatever, you know. Right, <laughs> yep. So, um, but but I, I think if it doesn't come natural to you to uh, or to for the writer to to find the right place to stop the scene or, or whatever. A lot of it can be gained by just planning out ahead, you know, right. figuring out ahead, how do you want this one to end and find a good cliffhanger or something to mm-hmm. end on. And really it just comes down to thinking about it, like, and to know that you need to think about it as a writer. And yeah. once you have that in your head, even when you're writing and you write an unplanned scene, it's there in your head, you know it. And so you write that way. And it's really the first time going through it, really learning this is how you do it. And of course, experienced authors make mistakes too. And you put too much in and then your editor comes and goes, Hey, take all that out. And you know, you cringe and you take it all out. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. But I also think when we're talking about scenes or chapters, or however somebody wants to, whatever they want to call it. But when we're talking about that and we're talking about starting points and end points, I think that there is also something that I could imagine, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I could imagine what you would also see quite often as an issue is that there is not enough variation on high conflict versus low conflict chapters. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. if, I mean, you can read several chapters with high conflict in a, in a row. That's not really a problem. But if you need, read 15 of them in a row, then you're going to get tired. You know, you need a break and the reader needs a break once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And the tricky part comes. So when you give the reader a break, you want to go maybe into a contemplative scene where your character is reacting to something. And those are hard scenes to write because you want to get the character's feelings out and and how is it changing them and what decisions are they going to make based on it. And so it's a really great time to connect your readers to your characters when you get to those contemplative scenes. And if they're placed right, 
within exactly what you're saying that you've got action, 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 oh, a bit of a sequel. Okay. Gives your, gives your reader a, a, a breath. And then they also feel it along with the character. So it's very important. Yeah. And I feel a lot of the time, those bit of a break chapter, if we call it that, um, those are excellent tools to use for for the character arc to basically build upon the character arc and how they change uh, throughout the novel. You can use those uh, if you have like five of the slow chapters throughout the entire novel. Those are excellent five different points where you can show that the character is is going through uh, the character arc um, because mm-hmm. they are good reflective scenes. So so yeah. they're good. They're put to good use there. Well, and you know whose book is really good on this is Sasha Black's book that just came out that's called Anatomy of Prose. And she has super examples in there of exactly what we're talking about. And she gives a way of writing it that goes, this is good. And then she rewrites it and you can see this is great. And it's exactly what you're saying about the character arc. And um, it's, it's a great book. So anyone who's working on that, I totally recommend that book. Yes, absolutely. And uh, also for the listener, if you forgot, we actually have Sasha Black on this podcast as well. I don't recall the episode number on the top of my head here, but if you go back through the archive, you can certainly find it uh, when we talk to Sasha Black. So she knows what she's talking about. So so that's very good as well. Um, what I was also wondering, and this is sort of th- something that pops up over and over and over again. You know, uh, Autumn and I also do courses for authors and stuff like that. So, so we also heavily into the teaching. So we hear a lot of the common questions, and uh, I think this is probably a good one to to cover here as well because um, it is something a lot of people are wondering about. And I have my clear view on it, but I'm curious curious to hear yours <laughs> first. But. <laughs> It basically goes uh, something like this. So when you're writing, is it best to edit as you go? Because then when you reach the end of the manuscript, you are sort of done. Or is it better to just write out the entire manuscript, not worrying about any of the editing or any of the grammar errors you might be making along the way, and then edit once only once you have the full first draft complete? Okay, I'm going to give you a big caveat on this one. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, I, I think it's good to get your story down and write your whole story, but sometimes your, your brain is tired, but you want to do something productive. And so maybe you want to do some copy editing of stuff you've written when you don't have your whole story written. And I actually think it's not a bad thing to do because then you practice it and you can start to see where your weaknesses are and what you need to fix and what you might want to look at when you're doing a full copy edit. So, um, I mean, I have author friends who perfect each scene, but they've done a very serious outline. Kind of, it sounds like what you do, the, the outline is written. They know what their story is. They know what's going in every yeah. scene and they know how to write a story. And so they write their scene and then they perfect it and they go to the next one. For other people who are, you know, what are called pansters, you know, writing by the seat of your pants, like to get the whole story out. And so there's a lot of personal preference. I believe that there should be a lot of joy in writing. And so to force yourself to do it one way or another, if it makes you unhappy, it's not the right way for for you as an author. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of finish your story and then do all your, your copy editing and proofreading. However, if it's not what works best for you and your process, don't change it because somebody else told you to. <laughs> right. No, I, I think that's actually a fair and, and, and good answer. Um, 
in in my view normally uh, i would say as well that it it sort of depends a bit um i think a lot of the people who are doing the edit as they go they also use the editing as a bit of a procrastination tool so it's like yeah i don't quite know what to write so i'll keep editing my previous chapters so they don't really move ahead and if that's the case then i think it's an issue yes and then you you need to you need to press forward because as you also said i'm also usually advocating it's more important to get to the end of the draft than it is to make it sound nicer as you go yeah um but when i say that i also have to say that for some people it is just incredibly annoying to know that there is a spelling error on page 45 and they almost can't get it out of their head so if, if if it really annoys you that much, then you know correct those small spelling errors as you go. If if you really can't see past it, uh, yeah. that that's better than getting annoyed about it. I think. Yeah, and I think as you write more books, your process changes as you go yeah. because your strengths change and your interests change and the technology changes, and so um, it, you don't need to get stuck in one way. You try one. If it doesn't work for you, try something else, and don't be afraid to try something else. Yeah, and and I think it also ties back into how much you're actually plotting the novel in advance because, uh, as you alluded to before, if you really know everything that needs to happen already, um, then basically Autumn and I, we can sort of edit as you go. You know, I I can write a draft uh, first chapter and then she can edit it while I write chapter two. And that's possible because we know exactly what's going to happen and and we've been around the bush enough to to know how to do it. Uh, So... uh, but yeah, I think I think as well that it is something that evolves over time. But yeah. uh, but it is just you know if you don't get to the end of the first draft before eight years have passed, well, I guess that's okay. But on the other hand, it's not going to help you at least earn any income from writing if it takes you that long to. So you also need to sort of push yourself forward. Yeah, and that's hard. You know, there at some point you have to let somebody else read your story. And that first time you do that is really difficult. It's it's a kind of a frightening moment because you've spent, you know, maybe at least a year on it. And then someone else is going to have comments after they spend a few hours reading it, right? Yes. yes it's a hard yes. moment. It is. It is very hard. Uh, I still remember when I gave my first uh, first book to a critique partner, uh, <laughs> and he was just like, "No, <laughs> it's just oh my god, I spent so much time on it." And he yep. just said, "No, this doesn't work." <laughs> mm-hmm. I know it's hard, and and as an editor, I have to be very careful with writers to make sure I point out here are the places that you're really good. So you know there are strengths here, and here's why I'm saying maybe you want to change something that. It's I, from an editor perspective, it's really important not to demotivate a writer and make them feel like they're not good at, at, at writing a story because everybody can be and it just takes a bit of hard work and some time. Yeah, and don't you think as well that one of the problems or challenges we have here is also, I mean, of course you can take like a, what is it called, like an MFA or whatever it's called, you know, a degree in writing, but even with a degree, the only way you learn how to write is by writing. It's it's not like a carpenter who will go to carpenter school and he'll be an apprentice for a while and then he will know how to do carpenting. It, it's not like that with writing, right? I mean, of course, in some say, in one way, you could say that it is like that because you keep writing and and you get editing and then you get better. But it is different in the way that. It's not like you go to a school and then you get some grades and and you'll know if you're good or bad. It's like right. you spent two years writing something and then you put it, you give it to the editor who knows what they're doing, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you you hear the hard truth, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. 
it is it is tough, but I, I fully agree with you that it's important as well. On one hand, of course, I would expect from an editor who knows what they're doing and who are good at it that they also know how to give feedback in a good yeah. manner so you don't scare people off because it's it's a vulnerable process, right? Of course it is. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you wanna if if you wanna seriously get into writing and also write to for commercial purposes to earn money from it, you also have to take it, you know, because if the editor might be nice and professional in the way that they word things, but the reviewers on Amazon are not, they're just going to slam you. So <laughs> it's you, true. you just have to learn it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You do. You know, I, I just went through a process. I had um, 13 editors edit the same manuscript. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a manuscript that I wrote with some holes in it um, as a bit of a test. And it was very interesting to see that the breadth of, the way people pointed out issues and most of the editors caught all the same issues. Um, And, and there was sort of the, the one end of super positive feedback that, so while you're dealing with the issues, you felt good about, Ooh, that works. That's great. You know, you feel really good to the other end of, well, that didn't work because whatever reason, and it was quite hard. And you think, ouch, that's just too hard. And as a, if that had been my experience as a new author, it's quite frightening, right? Mm-mm, that's not good versus the other ones who it's super important to point out why something works and that an author is particularly good at whatever, you know, maybe entry hooks or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. it was kind of an interesting experiment to go through to see how that many people would edit the exact same story. Yeah, and and there is well, at least it's good to hear that they sort of caught the same things. Uh, and then, of course, the feedback element is more like the how do you treat other humans in in mm-hmm. terms of giving them feedback. And that's, I mean, I've I've worked in management for many, many, many years, and it's it's one of the things you have to learn. You you know, you, uh, if you have an employee who is not performing, it doesn't help to shout them in the face, right? <laughs> it's much better if you can find a motivational way of telling them that that there's things that we could do in a bit smarter way that will also help you and then help them along the way rather mm-hmm. than putting them down, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I love it when you can see an author grow and, and change and their story just keeps getting better. And it's it's really fun when that happens. Yeah. But I'm curious as well, Christina, so in, when you say, when you just said an author grow, because I'm also curious... Have your process for editing changed over time? You know, I mean, editors also grow in their skill of editing. So is there Mm -hmm. something that you do differently nowadays compared to what you used to do when editing? Yeah. So when I used to edit, I mean, I I would read a story and go through it in MS Word and, um, you know, edit based on the knowledge in my head. Um, And now I use my own product, Story Coach because all of the story elements are there and it makes me look at every scene for the writer and go, okay, what's the conflict in this scene? What's the tension in this scene? What's the backstory? Is there a flashback? You can't get away with, you know, you read a scene, you think, oh, that was pretty good. And you move on. You can find a lot more when you're looking at key story elements to see, are they in every scene? And and you can give really in-depth feedback and, now, when I write a summary letter to an editor or to a writer, it'll be somewhere around 5,000 words of mm-hmm. high level comments for their story. 
And then I do for every scene, I, I have notes on that particular scene of what worked or needs improvement. Um, and then I mark up all the story elements, you know, and I give them a nice big check mark if it's awesome and they did it great. Um, or I give a <laughs> yes. specific um, feedback to, you know, maybe I can't figure out what the purpose of a scene is. And so I'll put a note. I don't know what the purpose is. Sometimes when you read the whole book, you can go, oh, I get the purpose of that scene now. But when you first read it, you can't quite figure it out. Um, and so, for example, if I say a book has 70 scenes and, you know, 15 of them, I don't know what the purpose is. That tells me the writer's a little bit lost. And it gives me a way to really focus and be specific and say, you know, you have 17 scenes and 15 of them don't have a purpose. So we need to work on that piece of, of why that is and, and what we want to do about it. Yes, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I was just while you were saying that, I was just thinking about uh, how it must be sometimes as well when you're editing fantasy novels, uh, because one of the really tricky parts that I, I guess, maybe well, maybe we have it in common with sci-fi authors, but in general, fantasy and sci-fi at least, we always have to walk that really careful balance between the info dumping versus uh, giving the information through the narrative, but. You also have to give some information just like, here it is, this is explained now, and mm -hmm. hopefully only in one sentence so that it's it's quick and done and over with. But it is an incredibly difficult line to walk sometimes. It, it is, because you do need the information there. And, and of course, the talented authors put out a lot of that information they can give through action by what the character touches or feels or sees. Um, you know, you can do it through the point of view description so that they're feeling something while they're seeing something. And, and that makes it a, a little bit, um, it's more engaging for the, for the reader. And then, you know, it as an author, when you got, you just, I have to say something very specific about the setting or some magic capability or whatever, because I just have to say it. And, and as long as you know that, and when you place it in, you want to make it as smooth as possible. Yeah. But do you see, so when you're working with a lot of different editors, do you see that each editor also have their own view on how is too much info dumping, for example, versus uh, when that this is, this is okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because at least when I, if I look at written fantasy novels, even from some of the very, very popular um, fantasy author, I'm not going to name any names here, mm -hmm. but I have read fantasy novels as well written by you know massive global bestseller authors and i don't quite like it it's it's just not not my cup of tea and i have a feeling that i think that this is very much and i fully agree with the fact i should back up and say i fully agree with the fact that there is a right way and a wrong way to some extent in doing it you you can't fill one and a half page with info dumping about a culture just because you want to tell the reader about it that's not that's not what i'm saying here but what i'm more saying is that i think There is a, in in terms of how to do it, there is sort of a degree in how much is too much versus how much is too little. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing might be a bit on personal preference, but I don't know what your view is because you you edited hundreds right. and hundreds of novels. So, but yeah, how so do you I'll view give, that? I'll give a tip to writers um, if you use beta readers. Um, it's a, a specific question you can ask your beta readers, but so. First, from an editor's point of view, what I what I tell editors is the second you start to skim, there's something wrong. 
And right. if, if, if you think it's the info dump thing, cause there's too much there and you're starting to skim through it, you got to mark that and then look at that and go, why am I skimming here? Well, maybe it's because there's too much information on this new city setting and there's no character interaction with that setting. It's just a two and a half page description of some city and you don't know why it relates to the plot or the character. Um, so Skimming is a big tip to to an editor to to right away go, oh, okay, what's happening here in the story? And the other thing for um, Info Dump Too Little, if as an editor you get confused, mm. there's probably not enough information in there and the writer could put more in. And, you know, editors read very carefully and they pay attention to story. And so if an editor gets confused... The writer should listen to that and and should go, okay, I confuse the editor. They don't know what's happening here or they don't understand why this was possible. You need to pay attention to it because they are reading very carefully. Now, also as an editor, I have to caution that if you start to skim, make sure it's not just because you're tired and you've been editing for too long. So, you know, an hour is good. And then after that, for me personally, I got to step up and do something else because then I, I can't pay attention as hard as I'm paying attention when I'm fresh. And so skimming doesn't automatically mean there's too much of an info dump. It could just mean I'm tired, but it's, it's a big trigger. Um, and what I wanted to say for, for readers, when you have beta readers, sometimes, especially if they're friends and family, they don't want to tell you what they don't like. But if you just ask them, please just mark every place you start to skim. You can't hurt my feelings. I just need to know this. You can then, as a writer, look at that and go, huh, is that in an info dump? Is this boring? What's going on here? And if you have two or three beta readers who mark the same passage as they're skimming, then you know for sure there's something wrong with it. Yeah, I quite like that approach that you were mentioning there, Christina, I must say, um, because what I normally say is that if you, at, at least if you're starting out, I normally caution authors very, very much on using beta readers, mm -hmm. because in my view, it is a hundred times better to either hire, hire an editor who knows what they're doing and who can help you, or find a critique partner who also know what they're doing and listen to one person, because especially when you're starting out, you're getting, let's say... 30 beta readers and they will give you 30 different points that they like or dislike and they will also be contradictory to each other yeah. so and when you're starting out it's it's more confusing than helpful because you don't know either what is right or wrong so you're hoping that you're going to get 30 pieces of feedback that is all aligned and will help you understand ah okay i see and then you can move on for it but that's not the reality of it you're going to get 30 strange topics popping up all over the place and it's not helpful at all So, but I like the approach about if you only say what you just said, you know, just highlight this, the, the places where, where your eyes are glazing over the text or something that at least that's helpful. Yeah. Or you're confused is mm. the other one. Um, and I also ask my beta readers when you put the book down, because you don't read it in one setting, please just mark, I put the book down. Don't tell me why, like, you know, you put it down because you want to have dinner. It doesn't matter. Um, you want to see the break points where beta readers are putting your book down because it means there wasn't quite enough to get them to that next scene. And again, if you have multiple ones that pick the same spot, that gives you something to look at and evaluate yourself as a writer without relying on biased information from your beta reader. So um, I wrote a blog a while back. I'm trying to think of what else I put in there, but very specific questions to beta readers um, of what you want from them. And then they do a great job for you because they're not afraid to hurt your feelings because you've asked specifically, I need to know these things. Yeah. 
Yeah, and but no, normally, at least when you're starting out, I, I really prefer to work with an editor who knows mm-hmm. because editors know what they're doing yeah. and, and you can listen to them. And, and as you also said, they are very methodical and they pay attention to all the details. Yeah. And it's like normally I say, you know, we we basically approve 90% of what the editor sends back to us when, when they're editing our novels because mm-hmm. it's, normally they're right. They know what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, but not always, right? That's the other caution that I, I try and tell. Even everybody I edit, I say, you know, to the writer that they are the artist and it is their story. And my job is to make them think about their story but not dictate what they should do or not do with it. Right. No, absolutely agree with it's, that. For sure. they, you know, don't you won't hurt my feelings as an editor if you just go, nope, I'm not making that change and stand up for yourself as a writer that it's your story. Right. And the editor is one person in the world giving you an opinion on it. Yes, and indeed, I agree with that. But on the same, at the same time, it also has to be said that the person giving you opinion on it is somebody who has edited mm-hmm. hundreds of novels, right? So it's right. It, it's it's different from a beta reader or or a family member who thinks something. Right, of course it is, and you should take it seriously and think hard about why you're saying no. Um, yeah. That. And that's why hopefully you hired an editor because they know what they're doing and you want their their feedback on it. But you know. It's it's also okay to be a believer in your own story. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I fully agree with that. But I'm wondering maybe um, if if this is possible, Christina. But I'm going to ask it anyway. But I'm thinking we we covered a lot of ground here, mm-hmm. and and I think there is a lot of good inputs for listeners. But I'm thinking, would it be possible if you if I told you that you could only give three concrete and tangible advice that our listeners could take away from this podcast episode and go and implement in their own editing process, like right here and right now, yep. would, would you be able to give us three I things? Can. In fact, I'm very opinionated on that of what you should do. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so this works if you, if you write stories from multiple points of view. Um, my first recommendation is to go and look at who has the point of view for every scene and what's their goal for that scene. Because if they don't have a goal, they're not doing anything. And so you should go through every single scene, um, count up your point of views. How many do you have? Does your protagonist have the most point of views? Um, Does, uh, do you have too many points of view of one character Uh, only and it should be in a different point of view so study your point of views and use it to your best so every scene look at it and ask yourself is this the best point of view for this scene and I've actually have found authors who've changed their protagonist because most of their point of view scenes were from a different character and they were actually writing somebody else's story and then it became a great story because they flipped it on that one piece Um, right and the goal is very important they have to have a goal and the goal has to relate to the story. So it can't be a goal to get a cup of coffee. It has to be some goal that it relates to the story. And there's a consequence that your reader is going to care if they achieve that goal or not. So that's my number one thing for when you're looking at your, when you're first looking at your characters, go and get your point of view straight. And then the second thing I recommend is look at um, the purpose of each scene. Ask yourself, why is it in the story? The same um, question, does the purpose of the scene relate to the overall story? So that same as goes for character. And 
you want to look at each scene. And if one scene has too many purposes in it, you're trying to do too much, you might want to split it into two, quieten it down a little bit. So look for scenes that are a bit chaotic, where there's too many reasons for it to be in the story. It could just be overwhelming to the reader. So that's number two. And number three is choosing the location of each scene. And the important thing there is to ask yourself, what's the emotional impact you want either the character or the reader to feel? And so, for example, if you pick um, a couple sitting on a hill and there is a thunderstorm off in the distance, that can be quite romantic. So maybe that's the feeling you want there. But what if that couple's on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean? It's not so romantic anymore. It's frightening. And um, quite often in, an, in a newer story or an early draft, I'll see that this it's just in somebody's home or the scene takes place in a coffee shop or in a car or some very standard thing. And so my, my pushback to the reader is, what do you want your character to feel? Do you want them frightened? Well, what's in your story where you could place them in a, a location where they are frightened more than if they're in their home and their family is there and, and it's not frightening at all for them? So those are my three. So I'll just backtrack on that. It's who's got the point of view and what's their goal. It's kind of two, but I'm rolling that into one. Um, the purpose <laughs> of the scene and what's the emotional impact you want either the, the characters or your reader to feel. This is so excellent, Christina. I uh, I have to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and uh, talk about all this stuff and give all these uh, excellent uh, advice for us authors here. Oh, it's totally God fun. I love it. it. <laughs> um, so if listeners want to learn more about you and what you do with Fictionary and all that stuff, where, where can they find you? Yes, yeah, so our website is fictionary.co. So not .com, it's .co. Um, and if you're a writer, then you want to look at our storyteller side of things. And if you're an editor, then it's story coach. Um, so, I mean, everything about us is is on the website. Um, we have obviously an email list where we have a really great ebook that we wrote all about um, the editing journey. And we wrote it together with Pro Writing Aid and with an editing company called First Editing, who does professional editing. And so the three companies got together and we wrote this book on what are all the different phases of editing a novel, when to do them, when to do self-edit, when and why you might want to hire a professional and how they will help you. So um, it's it's a really great book if, you, if you're looking for just learning what are all the different types of editing. So what's structural, what's substantive, what's copy editing, what's proofreading, et cetera, and how to use it in your own stuff. Okay. That's, that's really good. And Christina, if you send me the links to the different things, then I will make sure, sure dear listener to put them in the show notes. So you can just uh, go and check it out from, from there. So okay, thank you happy. so much again for coming on today, Christina. Oh, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. I love talking about stories. All right, so next week, Autumn is back and we are going to go back to the beginning and actually talk about story ideas. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash Am Writing Fantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, 
you'll get awesome rewards and keep the M Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday. <laughs>